Welcome into the fade. I'm your fearless host, Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. By the way, snowy Nashville Furman. Six inches or more of snow as we speak. It has been coming down all day. My wife and the two youngest Travis boys have been stuck in Utah for like three days. They can't get on an airplane flight. All the flights keep getting canceled. Uh, I know you're going to ask me why I don't have a private plane. I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, uh, right off the top, good news, Saturday. Saturday, the state of New York is going to officially allow online sports gambling. So if you are watching us right now in New York, if you go to fanduel.com slash clay, that's fanduel.com slash clay, you can get up to $1,000 no-risk first wager for new users in the state of New York. That is fanduel.com slash clay. All right, Furman, uh, we got the part of the Travis family stuck in Utah right now. I do not have a private plane because I am not willing to spend the money on a private plane right now because I only go, we go. I only go by go. and large to, uh, look, I, I, I was born without a lot of money, all right? So I've got houses, I've got everything that I could want, right? But the private plane to me is tough to justify when I can pay, you know, three, four hundred dollars for a ticket to pretty much anywhere. And a private plane right now would cost me about ten thousand dollars a leg based on the numbers that I have seen. Now, doesn't mean I'm not gonna price, do it. It's the it's the price you pay for superstardom. But the reality of it is before you get here, you hem and you haw, the fact that you don't own your own helicopter to get you back and forth to the beach at Rosemary Beach is a little bit disappointing because that would shorten the commute considerably and you could make that a day trip instead of getting the entire family on commercial jets uh, or the potential to drive around the holiday. So there's I'm no probably gonna not get, a helicopter. I'm probably going to get my own plane at some point in the next couple of years. All right? I probably am going to do it. Uh, but it is still a tough... It's a tough putt for me to sink even though I can afford to do it just because... That's like next level ridiculously rich. Anyway, uh, before we get into next level ridiculously rich, been a big topic here, Furman. We're going to get into all the NFL games. And by the way, Monday, we will do a specially focused college football preview show. We'll also know by Monday all of the wild card rounds of the playoff. But I wanted to start here before we even get into the games in the NFL, Furman. Aaron Rodgers, depending on where you look, is minus 400 or minus 500, right, to win the NFL MVP. Rodgers got into it with one of the 50 voters who said he wasn't going to be voting for Aaron Rodgers because of off-the-field-related shenanigans, basically, the COVID issues and beyond. I think there's probably value on Tom Brady at 5 or 6 to 1 because I think it would have to be one of those two guys to win the title. Am I crazy, or do you think Rodgers is a foregone conclusion here? I don't think you're crazy because there is a human element that comes into voting on these awards. And by the way, I believe there was a Chicago radio host that challenged you, Clay, I think, to put up ten grand on the Aaron Rodgers to be MVP. And you're not one to back away from challenges. So I may have to dig up that tweet, send it to you, and see if we get a little skin in the game. I think he was willing to give you the field against Aaron Rodgers if you worried about voters potentially moving away from him. But... I think what's going to happen is that Rodgers has earned it. You can say what you want about his off the field, his snarky personality, the interviews and everything else. It should be judged by the merits of what he's accomplished on the football field. And Rodgers has done everything and then some. So 
to warrant back-to-back MVP. So I wouldn't run to bet Tom Brady at six to one. I wouldn't dabble on Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup. I think cooler heads will prevail. And the NFL voters, which I believe there are 50 of them for the MVP, are overwhelmingly going to anoint Aaron Rodgers a back-to-back MVP winner when the dust settles and they hand out all that hardware in early February. Jamar Chase and Mac Jones, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Jamar Chase with an incredible performance against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs surged past Mac Jones. Do you think Chase effectively won it with that performance? Is there value in your mind on Mac Jones? Incredibly costly for me. Uh, Let me be honest here. I bet Mac Jones, once the Patriots released Cam Newton, was able to grab him at a price in that 7.5 to 8 to 1 range. And all season long, especially when Jamar Chase went into a funk, he had, I think, six straight games with under 50 receiving yards, figured this thing was going to be a rocking chair. And then Chase burst onto the scene, not only with that huge performance against Kansas City, but also doing something similar against Baltimore. I think the voters get enamored with the flash and dash. And while Mac Jones has been the model of consistency and helped stabilize the quarterback position for New England, Jamar Chase has those highlight reel plays. He's got, got the gaudy stat lines over the last couple of weeks. And I think there's good reason why he is the overwhelming favorite now at minus 250. I'd love to sit here and say that Mac Jones could surprise and at plus $2, he could still win this award. But I actually think it's beyond his control. And the reason I say that, Jamar Chase won't play week 18 in the regular season finale against the Browns. For Mac Jones to win the award, I think Buffalo would have to get upset by the Jets and the Patriots would need to win the division for that to happen. So because I think that's a little bit of a long shot, I think Jamar Chase did enough to impress voters the final two weeks of at least his regular season, and that's why the LSU receiver will be the offensive player of the year, much to my chagrin. Defensive player of the year, if you haven't been paying attention, TJ Watt is all the way out to minus 2,000, so 1 to 20. You could get Micah Parsons at 10 to 1 if you were interested. Aaron Donald, 16 to 1. That feels like a foregone conclusion. NFL Comeback Player of the Year, by the way, these are all up right now at fanduel.com slash clay. Appears to be down to Dak versus Joe Burrow. Uh, and Joe Burrow obviously coming on strong as Dak had been a monster favorite. Now he's just minus 175. The one that actually looks like it's going to be a real battle coming down the stretch, Furman, Matt LaFleur. Zach Taylor and Mike Vrabel are the three guys that are in the mix in a serious way for NFL Coach of the Year. LaFleur and Taylor are plus 175, Vrabel plus 250. Vrabel has come plummeting down as the Titans are now the one seed. Nobody else really in the running here. How do you assess this one? Yeah, I mean, I think these numbers are fair. And what's going to be interesting about this award is how much do voters attempt at least theoretically to discredit the likes of Matt LaFleur who has Aaron Rodgers as a starting quarterback or even Zach Taylor on some level because Joe Burrow has clearly been the reason this Bengals team is relevant and were able to win their first division title despite in you know a handful of years despite starting the season somewhere in the ballpark of 22 to 1 at FanDuel. Vrabel has been you know the glue that's held this Titans team together and while we talked at the beginning of the year about how the defense wasn't exactly taking on the DNA of its head coach, he's won in spite of having a quarterback capable of taking games over in Ryan Tannehill. They didn't completely crater when they lost Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry. So I'm fully on board with this line move working in Mike Vrabel's favor. The problem being is that a plus 250, there's not nearly enough value 
for me to try and bet into this market, knowing that Vrabel, I want to say, was 18 or 20 to 1 just a few short weeks ago. But I do think Vrabel's done enough to warrant, you know, getting coach of the year. At the same time, Zach Taylor, for me, I don't give him much credence. And Matt LaFleur, I think people want to try and take shots saying, oh, without Aaron Rodgers, he'd really struggle. When you go back and look at the final years that Aaron Rodgers played under Mike McCarthy, Matt LaFleur has actually resurrected Rodgers' career. And whether it's Rodgers going full scorched earth, taking the us against the world mentality, LaFleur deserves a ton of credit for getting this Green Bay offense to head in the right direction. And I think it's the LaFleur family in general that are, don't get enough credit for what they've meant as far as offensive geniuses because Mike LaFleur is going to fly you know, completely under the radar in New York. But you look at this Jets team down weapons. Zach Wilson has made tremendous strides, and that's a team that I'm very interested to watch early on next season. I know his buddy Robert Salah threw him under the bus given the failed end around or reverse, whatever they attempted to run against Tampa. But I think Matt and Mike LaFleur are two of the best offensive minds that probably don't get enough credit for very different reasons. The Jets, given their struggles, in Mike's case, and Matt completely discredited because Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback going. Uh, all right, let's go into NFL Week 18. Uh, you've got the Chiefs, Broncos, and the Cowboys, Eagles, both taking place on Saturday. Chiefs out to an over 10-point uh, favorite, 11 and a half or so, coming off of a tough loss against the Bengals. They are going on the road against the Broncos, and you've got Teddy Bridgewater out I don't even know the latest. I haven't looked into it aggressively yet. You can tell me about Drew Locke. Uh, Cowboys uh, favorite on the road against the Eagles. What stands out to you, if anything, about those two Saturday matchups? Yeah, the early game on Saturday, I mean, the Titans kind of dealt a fortuitous bounce here because if Denver does pull off the outright upset, the Titans could bench all of their guys on Sunday against the Houston Texans. But I do think Kansas City goes on the road. They beat a divisional rival. Now, will they cover 11? I mean, you're not stealing anything laying this particular price, knowing that Kansas City in the game we saw against Denver at Arrowhead a few weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, Kansas City closed an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, and while their offense wasn't clicking on all cylinders there, they needed a defensive score to find a little bit of separation. Of course, that Broncos team did have Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. Now, as far as the nightcap between the Eagles and Cowboys, if you could tell me who was playing for both of these teams, it would make the handicap significantly easier. Uh, it looks by all accounts that Gardner Minshew will get the nod for the Eagles. Nick Sirianni hasn't shied away from saying he's going to look to rest some of his players and get them ready for the postseason. Meanwhile, on the other side, Dallas dealing with a laundry list of potential COVID cases, you know, whether it's Micah Parsons, whether it's Tyron Smith, who's been ruled out. I just can't see either of these teams, despite it being a division rival, placing a ton of emphasis on this game. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, the Cowboys opened as a two and a half point favorite number ballooned out to seven and a half. So the early bird gets the worm. There are plenty of professional bettors who laid the short price, took the number back, and I think this becomes more of the degenerate central game Saturday night when people are looking to get involved. I'd lean towards the Eagles plus five and a half because I do think Minshew knows he's playing for his next job, whether it's in Philadelphia or elsewhere. So I'd lean Philly here, but not a game that I would run and encourage people to try and bet. And you hit on it for NFL Week 18. The biggest challenge is who's actually going to play. So let's talk about the games that matter to the largest degree, and then you can tell me if there are games that you think are worth playing that may not matter in terms of playoff seating in a big way. So let's start here. Uh, the Titans are a 10-point favorite on the road against the Texans. Titans lost to the Texans earlier in the year. If the Titans win, they are the overall number one seed. They would get the bye and not have to play until the divisional round. 
is 10 too steep on the road against the Texans or do you like the Titans here? I actually do like the Texans here, but would encourage anyone who's actually planned to bet the home underdog in this spot to wait. Because what I think is going to happen, if Kansas City takes care of business against Denver on Saturday, I really believe this number begins to leak out and there's a realistic possibility uh, that you could grab Houston at plus 11 or maybe even a better number than that. When you look at the divisional rivalries, I believe we saw it last year. Did the Titans play the Texans the week 17 and they had a hold on for dear life late in that contest? Now I know the quarterback situation, not the same, uh, but this is a Houston team that's shown fight. And while they might not be the most talented team in the league, David Coley has got this team to buy in. Davis Mills has been a much better quarterback playing at home. And I think sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of pressure on teams to go out there and secure the number one seed. So I think Houston, a live underdog, but again, it's all about market entry. Wait this out as long as possible, because if Kansas City is taking care of Denver, I think odds makers will make an artificial adjustment here and you'll be able to get Houston at a better price. Uh, all right. Um, in terms of games that really matter, it's tough to find a lot of them that matter a great deal. Uh, certainly one that does is the Sunday night football game, because whoever went now, let me start here. If the uh, Colts were to lose to the Jags, which is a crazy proposition, but Indianapolis has not won on the road in Jacksonville in several years, do you think there's any way that we could see a FIFA soccer style agreed to <laughs> tie? Or is that just totally Im implausible and there's no way it could ever happen? I think the league would have some real issues uh, on their hands if that was the case. Do I say improbable and completely implausible? No, uh, I don't. Now, could we see a scenario where this game plays out traditionally for the better part of two and a half, three quarters, and then the teams get into the fourth and go, you know what? A tie might not be the worst case scenario, and they got very conservative. They took knees or something along those lines. Uh, I think it would make for tremendous theater. It would make Roger Goodell's head explode. And I have to imagine if that was the case where a tie would benefit both these teams, you're going to see a ton of under money come in for this game before you get to kickoff. And as you reference FIFA, back in 1982, when Germany played Austria, these two teams mutually agreed that they were going to play to a nil-nil draw because it would allow them to get out of the group stage of the World Cup. And unlike the way we see things now in the World Cup or a lot of international soccer tournaments, you don't have games going on simultaneously. So Argentina had played Chile the day before. You had two countries very familiar with one another from the same soccer federation. And it was a game where there wasn't a single shot on target the entire match. Now, I'd love to see it. It would make uh, for ridiculous, you know, entertainment and viewing to hear Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth kind of go bananas. But I don't think the Colts lose to the Jags despite not having won there since 2014. If the game plays out true to form, when you look at the number here with the Chargers, a field goal favorite, I mean, I would lean towards the Raiders here. I think this is a team that's overachieved when you look at their last three games uh, on a modest three-game winning streak. All those games have gone under the total. The Chargers, much more dynamic offensively. They come into this game having scored 28 points or more uh, in five straight. So the Raiders would have to play a bit of keep away. They'd have to run the football. But the one thing that's fascinating I mean, Derek Carr has been one of the best quarterbacks that flies under the radar as far as an underdog in primetime. I believe Derek Carr's record in primetime football games, 11-4-1 against the spread. I lean the Raiders plus three, uh, but let's hope it's for everything and then some for these two teams where there's absolutely no love lost going all the way back to their AFL days. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, by the way, and that would be, that would be if the Colts were to lose that you would have that dynamic in play. Colts are a big 15-and-a-half point favorite over the Jags. Too many or you like them? 
No, I think it's too big a price tag. Uh, I would wait for this number to tick out a little bit. I think if you can get Jacksonville plus 17, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, this week you're going to see it. All the teams in that de facto must-win spot, odds makers place an additional tariff on them, whether you're talking you know, upwards of a full field goal in some of these games. I mean, the idea that you would go to the window and bet teams because they have to win isn't going to allow you to kind of build your bankroll. So for me, when I look at this, uh, I would take Jacksonville if I was able to get 17. They'd love to play spoiler, but there's no doubt this team has been a dumpster fire. I mean, we saw it last week, 50 to 10. Trevor Lawrence struggled mightily. They haven't been any better since Daryl Bevel took over. Uh, but this is a big price tag in the heat. I think Indy would be more than content to try and win this game, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 24-14 or thereabouts. Best division in football, in my opinion, the NFC West. Uh, Seahawks are a six-and-a-half-point road underdog against the Cardinals. The Rams are a four-point favorite against the San Francisco 49ers. Anything that stands out to you in the NFC West value-wise there? If the Seahawks are healthy and they don't put players on the COVID reserve list, as they know they're dealing with an illness that they're not calling COVID just yet, and some players on the defensive side that are banged up, I mean, this number is borderline ridiculous. I mean, to Seattle's credit, yes, they haven't played a murderer's row the last couple of weeks, but with Rashad Penny to give them a legitimate running threat, I mean, this team has gone out there and hung crooked numbers uh, over the last couple of games against the Bears, against the Texans, and against the Detroit Lions, where they scored 51 last week. So I think Seattle would love nothing more than to play spoiler. So I would definitely lean towards the Seahawks. As far as the Rams and 49ers, I mean, this again, it's a question of will the 49ers get healthy in their defensive backfield? They had five DBs from the cornerback and safety position put on the COVID reserve list. Emmanuel Mosley, his practice window opened up earlier this week. We'll see if he's able to go dealing with a high ankle sprain. And if the 49ers are healthy, I think they're going to be in this one from start to finish because their playoff life hangs in the balance as well. And when you look at the Sean McVay-Kyle Shanahan rivalry, I mean, the 49ers have dominated going back to 2019. And what's most impressive, they won four out of the last five against the Rams outright as underdogs. I think that trend could continue. But of course, you want to have your full complement of defensive players healthy against the likes of Odell Beckham Jr., Van Jefferson, and Cooper Cup, uh, given that the 49ers are most vulnerable to the deep ball. All right, I'm going to give you my uh, outkick six-pack here momentarily. But first, Furman, for you, what picks do you like? What lines do you like the most? Um, one other game where that has playoff implications between the Falcons and Saints. I originally wanted to bet the Falcons, but I'm not sure if Kyle Pitts will be out there. So it's going to lead me to the under. You're going to get a Saints team that's fully engaged in this game. Uh, we know how tenacious they are defensively. Atlanta seen Taysom Hill a couple of times over the last few seasons, and they've been relatively low scoring games, especially early on. So first half under uh, between Saints and Falcons makes plenty of sense. And when you look at the Dolphins and Patriots, we know that Brian Flores and company have been extremely competitive against New England. So if this number did get to a touchdown, like I anticipate on Sunday, I think the Dolphins are very live. You know, Tua still playing for his job. The Dolphins won't lay down. And I think this comes down to the final possession. So I like the Dolphins plus the points and the first half under in Falcon Saints if the best numbers are available as we get closer to kick. All right, here are my outkick six-pack as we sit here on Thursday afternoon. I'll allow you to react to them, Furman. I've got the Broncos plus the points against the Chiefs on Saturday night. They, of course, the Broncos are the home team. They've got all sorts of quarterback issues. I've got the Lions plus three and a half at home against the Packers. Packers have nothing to play for. I know Lions have health issues, but I feel like they're the team that cares more about rolling into uh, the offseason with a win. 
I've got the Jags plus the points against the Colts. I think the Titans are going to take care of the Texans. I think losing this game earlier in the season really gives them an incentive to go in and provide a, a beatdown. I love what the defense is doing um, in terms of the Titans defense not giving up very much points of late. I think the Titans will win that one. I like the Steelers plus the points and probably Ben Roethlisberger's finale against the Ravens. And I like the Dolphins plus the points against the Patriots to close out the season there for the Dolphins with a win. Any of those stand out to you uh, in any kind of substantial way? I agree with you on the Dolphins. I agree with you on the Jags. And I agree with you on some level with the Lions. Although that's a game I think that you're going to be better served to bet live. Uh, all accounts are that Aaron Rodgers and company are going to be a full go in this particular spot. Now, if Rodgers plays a full game, that remains to be seen. But Matt LaFleur has said that he doesn't want his players getting a full three weeks off, knowing that they've already secured the bye. So this could be an instance of Green Bay's first teamers out there for a couple of series. You can get Detroit with a better number at some point live during that game. The one disagreement I have is on that Steelers-Ravens game. I I'm not sure the Steelers have much left in the tank. When you look at the emotion uh, expenditure from Big Ben, the victory lap, uh, I mean, basically on the cusp of tears, I think that was their all-in effort. And while they do have a small chance to make the playoffs, I'm not sure they're able to replicate that level of emotion that we saw on Monday night. Now factor in that Deontay Johnson won't be available uh, as he tested positive for COVID. You have an injury or an illness along the offensive line. And the one thing we've seen with these COVID cases, there's always a tip of the iceberg. So it's one to two players. It becomes four and it becomes much more substantial. Uh, I think Baltimore goes out with a bang, and they're able to take care of the Steelers in a revenge game. Uh, for one, they let get away at Heinz Field earlier this year where John Harbaugh elected to go for two, and that's with assuming Tyler Huntley under center. So I like the Ravens laying the points. Uh, I think the Steelers played their Super Bowl last week, and I just can't see them being that physically and mentally there uh, in a short week to take on a division rival. Uh, good stuff, Furman. Anything else that you would want people to know out there as we get ready for NFL Week 18? No, it's just one of those tough weeks, and it's, you're going to constantly have to be monitoring the news. So many of these situations are fluid, whether it's players being available, coaches deciding to sit. Uh, and I think this week, maybe more than any other during the course of the NFL season, we know the importance of live betting and the extensive menu that FanDuel makes available, uh, but this is the perfect week to try and do that. If you don't feel comfortable with these teams before the game, you can watch. You may be able to get a better number, whether it's on side in total, especially if teams are going to elect to sit starters. So for the weekend warrior uh, that does a lot of his or her shopping Sunday morning for numbers, uh, I'd encourage them to live bet this week, maybe more so than any other week during the season. Good stuff. As always, reminder, New York going live on Saturday. If you happen to be in New York, if you're watching us in New York right now, fanduel.com slash Clay, $1,000, no risk. Plus, when we're back on Monday, FanDuel is putting together a special Georgia-Alabama Clay Travis bet special, believe it or not, Furman, for the national championship game. We'll break down that uh, for you as well. All of that coming your direction. This has been The Fade with Clay Travis, Todd Furman.